In the about 25 minutes that I have with you this morning, I want to dive deep into our second week of Advent and the topic of peace. So uh, get ready because we're going to be moving here this morning. And my hope today is that we can unwrap the idea of peace because peace around the holidays is important. But like Brenda talked about, sometimes we need a peace that transcends all understanding, the kind of peace that we're going to read about here in a moment. And I'm someone who has always loved Christmas, right? To this day, I still insist on watching the movies, and I want to put up the decorations, and I want to listen to the songs, because those are things that make me happy, right? I love Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. It brings me a sense of peace, a sense of joy. Uh, But I remember one Christmas as a kid that I received a gift that initially didn't make me so happy. And I know some of you kids, some of you youth have probably heard this story before, but uh, we wake up on Christmas morning and we do our traditions, right? We open presents with our family. We always have uh, a Christmas story on in the background and we open our Christmas presents and then we eat some breakfast pizza and we get ready to go over to my grandparents' house for Christmas and we have dinner with my grandparents and we're celebrating. We open our stockings and then we get to the point of opening presents and uh, we get these little wooden boxes that have hinges on them, and they look a bit like a suitcase. And we open up that suitcase, and it says, you're going on a cruise, May 2009 or 2008, whatever year it was. And all of my cousins are cheering and celebrating, like, we're going on a cruise. And little nine-year-old Tyler is sitting over on the steps of my grandparents' house having a panic attack because... The day before Christmas that year, so Christmas Eve that year, uh, the day before Christmas, I had spent the day with one of my cousins on the other side of the family, and that Christmas Eve, he had introduced me to a little movie by the name of Titanic. (laughs) And so when I found out we were going on a cruise, I freaked out. And it's funny to look back on some of those childhood fears and laughed, right? We, we had all kinds of fun on that cruise, but it's not lost on me that in the craziness of life, especially at this time of year, there are some of us, maybe all of us, who need to be reminded of what it means to have peace. And before we get into the conversation about peace, I'm going to go somewhere that I think you probably don't often hear when it comes to Advent series sermons. But we're going to start our conversation on peace today by talking about the enemy of our peace. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
And I think for those of us in the 21st century, it's easy to go, I don't believe in things like evil powers or evil forces. Right? I'm too, I'm too um, smart for that. I'm too modern for that. There's no way I could believe in something like the devil. But the problem with that kind of thinking is twofold. One, it goes against what's clearly taught in Scripture. And two, if you aren't willing to recognize where the enemy of your peace is coming from, then he will win victories over you that he has no right winning. I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that the enemy, Satan himself, his main, one of his main goals is trying to rob you of your peace. And in the very season in which we are called to have the most peace, the Advent season, the National Alliance on Mental Illness says about 64% of people say that their anxiety or their depression gets worse around the holidays. Is it a coincidence that the time that's meant to bring us the most peace is actually the time that the enemy capitalizes on to rob us of our peace? But we'll just keep going along about trying, striving, trying to find some semblance of peace while we're losing the fight because we're trying to wage the, world, the war as the world does. We're trying to buy more presents and put up more decorations. We're trying to eat more food and do more things and, and get our kids in more events and try and meet the deadlines at work. And all of these things together should give us peace and yet it escapes us. We're trying to fight heavenly battles with earthly weapons. But if we want to win the battle against the tactics of fear and anxiety employed by our enemy, then we first have to recognize where the battle is. And you probably don't think about the Christmas story in terms of a battle often, right? We read Luke chapter 2 and we love to celebrate the angels and the heavenly hosts showing up to the shepherds in the field. We love to think about Advent and sweet little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger and Joseph giving Mary uh, a foot massage, right? Like, that's what we want to think about when we think about the birth of Christ. But I want to read for you from the book of Revelation what's taking place as Jesus is being born in the heavenly realm. As Jesus is entering earth and we see that sweet little baby Jesus in a manger, understand that this is taking place as well in the the realm of heaven, right? In the realm of eternity. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten thorns and seven crowns on its head. Don't get lost in the imagery with me. Just, just think of Satan. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. 
For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. I wonder if you, if you caught that last part. That the enemy is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. It's, it's done. It's game over for the devil. And as mad as he might be, as much as he might try to rob us of our peace, from the very moment that Jesus Christ entered the world through Mary, that war was over. The war for your peace was won. It began with his birth, it was confirmed in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and it will culminate when he returns with the new heaven and the new earth. So my question to you this morning is, are you living in pursuit of your peace as if that battle's not yet been won? Are you struggling to win a fight that's already been won for you? Don't think I'm saying that life doesn't get difficult, right? That sometimes anxiety and stress and fear aren't real things because I know that they are and you know that they are. Jesus himself says on more than one occasion that through trusting in him, it doesn't mean that you'll never struggle, but it does mean that you'll never struggle alone. It means that even in the difficulties of this sinful, fallen, and broken world, that God doesn't just protect you from ever struggling. He says that you will struggle, but he promises that he will walk with you through the darkest valley and that those experiences will help to grow you into someone who has a more unshakable peace despite your circumstances. Jesus himself promises this in John 16. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Don't doubt about it. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Are you trying to overcome the world? Are you, are you trying to overcome the things in your world? Are you, or are you looking to the one who's already done it for you? Are you looking to the one who has overcome the world and who promises you peace? I'm not talking about some worldly form of peace that's here one moment and gone the next. I'm not even talking about the kind of peace that comes with good things like Christmas celebrations and time with family. Because unfortunately, we all know that as good as those moments of peace might be, as good as vacation might feel when you can escape from your problems for a little while, you have to go back to work sometime. And you have to go back to school sometime. And as long as you try and escape your problems, you have to confront your family's brokenness sometime. And the financial hardship and the anxiety and the struggles, they don't just go away because it's Christmas time. I know that as well as you do. But the kind of peace that I want to talk about as we move on this morning, is the the kind of peace that in the midst of it all supersedes, right, reigns supreme over even the worst of your struggles, even the worst of your feels. it's, It's the kind of peace that allows Paul in 2 Corinthians to say, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich, 
having nothing, yet possessing everything. That's a different kind of peace than what the world is offering you. You mean to say that even in the midst of my sorrow, I can have rejoicing? That even when I have nothing, it can be counted to me as if I have everything? There's a difference between the fleeting peace that comes with taking a vacation from our problems or trying to act like everything's okay in your life when it's not, and that kind of peace, that kind of peace. That's the kind of peace that I want. I hope that's the kind of peace that you want. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. I'll take that kind of peace that doesn't exist only when my circumstances are good. Peace that exists when your circumstances are good is a fake, cheap imitation of the true peace that's offered to you in Christ. I want the kind of peace for you and for me that says, no matter what I'm facing, my peace doesn't come from my circumstances, it comes from a God who loves me, who lived and died for me and rose again to offer me life with him eternally. That's the kind of peace we're talking about this morning. But how do we get that kind of peace, right? It can't, it can't be easy. No one said it would be easy, but here's a good place to start. We're going to move into our main scripture today. So that was just my intro. Get ready. I kid. I'm just joking. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's worth noting that when Paul writes his letter to the church at Philippi, it's probably around the year 62 AD, which means that by the time Paul is writing Philippians chapter 4, he's been imprisoned both in actual dungeons and in various forms of house arrest for about five years to this point. For, for preaching the message of Jesus Christ, this man has been in prison for about five years, and yet he says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That guy He's not writing from some privileged position, right? Like, oh, you have peace and joy in God despite the fact that you're being killed for your faith and that people are persecuting you and that you have nothing. You guys have faith in God and I'll sit over here in my cushy house in my nice mansion, right? He's not like, he's not like the, the, the pastors who make $17 million a year and then say, you guys should be happy with your circumstances and I'm going to be over here in my $9 million mansion, right? There's, there's few things that make me more mad than people who try to preach from this privileged position and say, you should have peace, you should do all these things, but I'm not going to do it. And Paul isn't the kind of person to do that. He's writing from prison and he says... He, he, he's living out what it means in James chapter 1 when it says we are to consider it pure joy when we suffer trials of any kind because Paul's peace isn't rooted in his circumstances. The man's been locked up for five years. It's not in his circumstances or anyone else's circumstances. It's firmly planted in the hope of the gospel. And instead of responding to the difficulties of life with anxiety, with trying to muster up enough strength to fight the things that the enemy is using to rob me of my peace, 
Paul gives us the, the antidote. He gives us the sword to fight that battle for our peace against the enemy. That battle that's been won, he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't it kind of crazy that you get to take your concerns to God? That the, the person who created the entire universe, the one who made everything, cares enough about you, loves you enough to offer you an open line of communication to him in the midst of any circumstance. I hear people say all the time, I don't know how to pray. And my response to that is, do you know how to talk? Then you know how to pray. Because it says, in every situation, no matter what, bring your cares to the Lord for he cares to you, cares for you. Or how am I supposed to pray with thanksgiving if the things that are happening around me aren't good? How am I supposed to pray a prayer of thanksgiving when my car breaks down? I don't know, maybe, God, thank you that I am in the percentage, the small percentage of people in this world who are blessed enough to have a vehicle. Thank you that my car broke down because it means that I have a car. God, thank you that today I'm struggling with sickness because it reminds me of all the other days of the year how blessed I am to be healthy and well. God, thank you today that even in the midst of my darkest valley, I know that I don't have to walk through it alone because you promise that you are with me always to the very end of the age. That's praying with thanksgiving. And I promise you that in the midst of your dark circumstances, if you can be reminded to pray with thanksgiving, it will start to change your mindset. When, when not even the toughest things of life can shake you from being thankful to God, your, your, your peace is secure. That's not the kind of peace that can be robbed by any circumstances. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's this great Bible study called the Battle Plan for Prayer. And in one of the sessions of that study, one of the authors notes that many of the Psalms the book of Psalms, are psalms of struggle. So if you've, ever, if you've ever read the book of Psalms, you know that they're songs. Most of them are written by David. And if you read a lot of those psalms, many of them are unresolved. They're psalms where David is pouring out his heart to God and saying, God, why have you abandoned me? I feel like you left me. I feel like I can't beat this circumstance. I feel like I can't make it through this situation. And we don't always get to know most of the time, we don't get to know how those psalms are resolved. We don't get to know how God answered David's prayer. But we do know that there's glory in the struggle. And I think we have to be reminded sometimes as Christians that following Christ is not a promise to be removed from struggle. But it is a, it is a promise that there can be glory in the struggle. It's the, the kind of peace that comes from knowing that even in the struggle, my eternal fate is not on my shoulders. It's on God. It's, it's a good reason to write down your prayers, not so that you can treat God like a genie in a lamp, but so that you can look back and go, look at all the times, God, that you have been faithful to me. Why should this time be any different? Look at all the times, God, that I thought it wasn't going to work out, and then you worked it out for your glory and my good. Why should this circumstance be any different? 
That's the kind of peace that transcends all understanding, that the perfect God of the universe has never failed you and he never will. The the late great New Testament scholar by the name of Grant Osborne says this about the difference between that cheap, fake imitation, worldly peace, and the kind of peace that God offers. It says, an earthly peace that is anchored in this sin-sick world will always be uncertain and subject to the unpredictability of life. Paul is referring instead to the pervasive peace that characterizes God and that comes to us as a divine gift. It's not just the opposite of anxiety, but the solution. God's peace is like the miracle cleanser that when sprayed on dirt just soaks it up and takes it away. Maybe you're saying to yourself right now, there's no way, Tyler, that you could know what I'm going through. That there's no way you you know, young kid, I get that all the time. You have not experienced anything yet like what I've experienced. You're just so young. And yet, in full transparency, I'm up here preaching this message to myself too, right? But don't think that I haven't been where you've been, that I haven't sat where you've sat, right? The first time I ever prayed on my own, I was 14. I thought my dad was going to die because he was having a respiratory arrest, and I thought I was going to have to be the man of the house. I know what it means to have the kind of family brokenness, that you're woken up in the middle of the night by someone saying, hey, we need you to get out there. Your brother has run away from home again. I've looked at my totaled car in a junk lot while the guy next to me is talking about how he thought whoever was in that car when it was in that accident was probably dead. And either in God's wisdom or in your church leader's insanity, they hired a 20-year-old to be one of their pastors. Don't think I don't know stress and anxiety. Don't think I don't know how the enemy tries to rob peace. And yet I say all of that, and I know that most of you have a list that's twice as long as mine. My heart breaks for you because I know that you have things going on in your life that would make my problems look like paper cuts. But I also know that when Christ says in Matthew chapter 6 these words, he's not just talking about the little things of life, he's talking about the worst things that have happened to you. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Friends, he's talking to you, and he's talking to me. The the Savior of the world sees you. He sees you in the midst of your sin and your brokenness and your problems, and He's willing to die for you. He promises that if you would just accept Him, if you would just place your faith and your trust in Him, that there is real peace available to you. Not the kind of peace that replaces your worldly circumstances, but the kind of peace that reigns supreme over them. That baby in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas, he would go on to die a criminal's death on a cross and suffer the full wrath of God to take away the penalty of sin for anyone who would believe in him. 
and the great enemy, the one who glories in sin, the one who tries to steal our peace on that glorious and silent night when our Savior Christ was born, even the enemy of the universe knew that his time was short. Are are you living life's battles as if that war hasn't already been won for you? If God was faithful enough to save you by his death on the cross, if he was faithful enough to bring you to the point that you're sitting in front of me today, then why would he not be faithful enough to carry you through whatever situation you're in? I've had it said to me before that our God has a perfect record and I'm not important enough for him to waste it on. So if he was faithful to to enter into the world as a child, even though he had no sin in him, if he was faithful to die a criminal's death on a cross, and if he was picturing your face in his mind as he did so, if he brought you through the struggles of life and sat you here this morning, then why is he not faithful enough to lead you through whatever's trying to rob you of your peace today? I want to close with a, a passage that includes a verse that many of you have seen before. Later in Philippians chapter 4, it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. <clears throat> so Paul's writing this in response to the Philippian church sending him help during his imprisonment. Because back then when you were in prison, it was common for the prisoners to be able to provide their own food for themselves. But yet since they were locked up and they couldn't work, they had to rely on the generosity of others to help them or they would starve. And he closes this passage with Philippians 4.13. I can do all of these things through Christ who gives me strength. Quickly, just a show of hands, how many of you have heard that verse before? I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. I love that verse, but it's probably not for the reason that you think. You've heard it in relation to some kind of personal success, right? Like my favorite one is I can win the college football national championship through Christ who gives me strength. I can get this job through Christ who gives me strength. I can make this amount of money through Christ who gives me strength. I can lift this amount of weight on a bench press or a deadlift through Christ who gives me strength. The problem with that understanding of Philippians 4.13 is that when Paul says, I can be content in any circumstance and do all of this through Christ who gives me strength, he's not talking about winning some game and he's not talking about getting a job. That's a cheap circumstance-driven excuse for peace, and it's not the kind of peace that transcends all understanding. He's in prison at the time of writing this. Prior to that in his life, Paul has experienced beatings, shipwrecks. He's been stoned nearly to the point of death. He's been homeless. He has starved. He's been persecuted. So clearly that phrase has to mean something more than just my circumstances will get better because Paul knows his circumstances aren't getting any better. And yet he can do all this through Christ who gives him strength. He's talking about the strength that comes from Christ who gives peace in the midst of hardship. When I was in college, I had just 
recently suffered my third concussion in three years. I was in the middle of trying to decide if I should transfer away from a school that the woman who is now my wife was at, but I felt like God wasn't calling me to anymore. I was stuck at a fraternity convention for some school that I didn't even want to be at anymore. And I found myself in the summer, I don't even remember what summer, freshman year of college, I found myself standing in my, fifth, my 15th story hotel room in Louisville, Kentucky, which is just an awful city, by the way. Sorry if any of you like Louisville. I found myself standing in my 15th story hotel room in Louisville, Kentucky, looking out at the skyline, depressed, anxious, lonely, feeling like things would never get better. I felt like I had no strength and no peace left. And I remember one night staring out that window for about an hour, wondering if there was a way that I could get it to open so I could just end the pain. And it was in that moment that I was reminded of Philippians 4.13. It was in that moment that I needed the strength and the peace of Christ to be a lot more than just some sports cliché. It was in that moment that I needed the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that says even when you feel like life's not worth living anymore, there is a peace that's available to you through your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the kind of peace that we talk about when we celebrate the coming of our Savior at Advent. It was in that moment that by the grace of God, the peace of God, the power of Christ that strengthens me came over me and it was more than just some weight room cliche. It was true peace. So my prayer today, brothers and sisters, is that you would come to see the true meaning of peace and strength in Christ. That you would rejoice no matter your circumstances, that in the war for your soul, it's been won already before baby Jesus had even touched the hay of the manger. That fight was won for you. And may the peace of God which transcend all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and I'm going to invite my communion stewards forward. But I ask that you would join me in a word of peaceful prayer this morning. Lord God, we thank you and we give you all glory and praise that you saw fit not to remain in heaven while we were plagued with sin and death, God, but that you stepped into earth in the form of a helpless baby, that you lived, that you died on a cross that we deserved to take away the penalty of our sin, and that even now, this morning, you are offering us peace that transcends all understanding. We thank you, Jesus, and we give you all honor and glory and praise, and we ask your spirit into our hearts this morning. It's in your heavenly name that we pray. Amen.